<laughs> thank you so much for having me here. Thank you, uh, Adam and Amy. I so appreciate you guys just listening to Jonathan and going, hey, there's this strange lady. <laughs> so anyway, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, they always say that nervousness and excitement evoke the same physical response. So if you see me shaking, it's because I'm super excited to be here, <laughs> especially when you're the anxiety guru and you're nervous when you're speaking. But um, anyway, I'm really excited. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out here. My husband is here. Um, I sat in the back seat like a chauffeur today so I could prepare and get my makeup done on the two-hour drive. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. And you know, you know you have a good husband and father when you can clean up puke like a team without saying a single word. We have five kids, ages 20 all the way down to eight, and there has been middle of the night, you know, that moment. The moms always wake up first, right? And you just feel this presence, and all of a sudden you go, <gasps> and they go, I don't feel so well, and you rush up, and you pick him up, you kick your husband, and he runs, and then there's this whole ordeal that happens without saying a single word, and that's a good father. <laughs> So I'm really grateful. So for all you fathers who have that routine down packed, us mothers, thank you. So it's quite an honor. <laughs> um, I wanted to say just during worship, um, can I pass you my Bible? I know this sounds sacrilegious, but I have my notes here. It's just too much room. Um, this morning, I just, during worship, I just really felt that this church, I just felt like I wanted to bless you with a word, but I just really felt that you are an army of God. I just really had this sense that you are an army of God. And I really felt that anytime we are called to be on the front lines, we're called to be warriors. One of the biggest things that come against us is weariness and, and weariness in the battle, weariness in fighting again. And I just had this sense that God was going to release weariness from you, the body of Christ here in this church, over the leaders, over you as a body, because I really feel that God's called you to be an army and that there are some powerful assignments that he has for you to step into and uh, have victory over. So I'm super excited and so blessed to be here. So thank you so much. I'm just going to start my timer because I'm a talker. Okay. <laughs> so I want to tell you a little bit about my story first because power is in testimony. And, uh, and then I want to share a little bit about how God set me free from anxiety. So if you don't know, um, I am someone who has overcome severe mental illness, but I never struggled much with anxiety and depression before. I was always very much a push through it, suck it up princess, you can accomplish all things through Christ who strengthens me, um, very much a high achiever, highly driven, lots of energy, get all the things done, perfectionist, uh, went to church. My husband and I were the worship pastors at our church. I ran the women or the children's ministry. We had five kids, just had a newborn baby, and I read my Bible every day. I listened to worship every day. I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul. Um, he has brought me out of the most horrible and hopeless situations in my life, and I've seen his goodness. And so I when I was younger, if someone had said to me, you know, I'm feeling depressed, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, suck it up, princess, <laughs> like, move on, get over it. And there was this one moment when uh, we were at a prophetic conference, and a woman I highly respect came up to me, and she was praying for me, and she said, Sarah, you're going to have a deliverance ministry in the area of anxiety, depression, and OCD. And at the time, I was a blogger, and my first thought was, cool, Lord, cool. I can tell people how to suck it up. 
I can tell them how to pray harder. I can tell them how to stop just thinking about it. <laughs> I can tell them to just move on, stop thinking about it, live in the present, get out of the past, move on, whatever. I was like, yeah, I, I got it. I can do that. That word sat in the back of my heart like any prophetic word. We have this excitement in the beginning and then we realize that we get thrown in the lion's den, the wilderness, <laughs> right? Um, and so it was about several months later that I went through an intense season of stress and loss and grief and weariness, postpartum, five kids, trying to be perfect, trying to do all the things. And one day I woke up and I had a panic attack. Well, I didn't think it was a panic attack at the time. I was on the treadmill and I was trying to exercise and my heart wouldn't stop and it was racing out of control. And I stepped down, I said, oh, you're fine, just catch your breath, and I couldn't catch my breath. And I literally thought I was dying. And I am a drama queen, but I'm not that kind of drama queen. <laughs> so I literally thought I was dying. And so I remember in my head walking around my house going, okay, where would be the best place to die? My kids are all sleeping, like, should I go in my backyard? No, they won't find me there. Should I go to my room? Because I really want to go back to bed in case I die, because that's the most comfortable place. I unlocked the front door, I sat at the couch by the front door, and I called 911. The paramedics came, and they checked me over, and I was shaking, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't catch my breath, there was a weight on my chest, I thought I was going to die. And they came, they checked me over, and they said, have you been under a lot of stress lately? I was like, yeah, but who doesn't? Like, whatever, move, get, out, get over it. And they were like, we actually don't think anything's wrong with you. We think this is a panic attack. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I'd had one before, like years ago during like a crisis. But I was like, whatever. So I was like, go back to bed. You'll feel better in the morning. And that night I had several panic attacks. I woke up in the morning. I had several more. And from that moment on, I spiraled into the darkest season I've ever walked through in my entire life. What turned into one initial panic attack turned into... Uh, many, sometimes five to ten panic attacks a day. And if you've never had a panic attack before, you literally feel like you're dying. <laughs> the symptoms are, are acute to a, a heart attack. Um, your body is physically responding. It's not just in your head. Your whole body is completely overwhelmed with panic. And it says in the Word of God that anxiety in the heart of a man leads to depression. So when you're dealing with this kind of anxiety day after day after day after day, eventually you become really, really tired. And that is when depression began to set in for me. And it was scary because I'd never been there before because I was the suck it up, move on, get over it, push through kind of person. So I was shocked by my derailment. This is not something that I expected me to ever experience. Um, from that, things got worse, and I started developing um, symptoms of OCD. And I won't go into it a lot. There's many different forms of OCD. But I started experiencing obsessive-compulsive disorders. But basically, the main trigger of OCD is intrusive thoughts. Thoughts that come into your head that you couldn't even imagine that you could think of. They can be violent. They can be against God. They can be, you know, whatever. They're just thoughts that just don't line up with who you are and your values, but they're so disturbing. They just completely rattle you. And you're, the hardest part about going through what I went through with my mental breakdown was, am I going crazy? <laughs> like, God, can I trust you for, like, my sanity? 
Like I thought, I prayed every day, I read my Bible, I love you, I worship you, I know you, I've, I've seen you come through in my life and all of a sudden I don't even know if I'm going to do something or if I'm going to end up in a mental institute, if I'm going to be able to parent my children. And I spent many, many months in bed. Many months in bed. I'm not talking, you know, I couldn't leave my house, I couldn't drive my car, I couldn't take my kids to school, I couldn't sit down at dinner to eat with my kids, it was too much for me. And I laid in my bed, tormented and tormented by thoughts and depression and anxiety. And I thought, God, what is going on? The entire time that I was experiencing this, my husband the whole time kept saying to me, God's going to use this, God's going to use this. You're going to get through this, there's a reason in this, there's a reason in this. Which is really hard to understand why God would allow myself to go something, through something so tormenting. And I remember one day I was uh, coming home um, from the doctor's and I walked into the house and I had the scariest thought that I ever thought that I could think. <laughs> Sounds like a poem, but... And it scared me to the absolute core, to the point where I didn't even know if I could trust myself anymore. And I ran to my bedroom and I locked the door. That was my safe place. And I grabbed my Bible and I said, God, this either has to work or I'm in big trouble because I am not going to come out of this. I am in big trouble. This is not something that I can just suck it up and get out of like I could throughout so many other situations. And it was frustrating for me as a, as a passionate believer to hear from other Christians, just, just stop thinking about it. Just pray more. Just read your Bible more. Just perfect love casts out fear. I'm like, but what does that mean? Like, I, I know God loves me, but like, what does that mean? And I, I read it, and I know it, and I'm still in absolute torment. And so this was my experience. And I remember one day I shared this in my speech at the Word Gala um, where I felt like I was commissioned by God. And I'm talking, people say, when were you delivered and set free? It doesn't work like that. God had to take me out of the wilderness the long way around so that I wouldn't ever go back to that place. And that's what I want to share with you today a little bit. But there was this moment where I went to go to... Bible study, and I hadn't been in a long time, and for some reason, I knew I really needed to go. So I got the kids in the car, put my shoes on, put my coat on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And got in there, I was like, I can't go, I can't go. I just had this OCD thought, I was totally riddled, I was shaking, I couldn't talk, I couldn't breathe, I was just whatever, I said, Kevin, just go, you go. And so he left, and he drove down the driveway, and something in with me, like, go. I was like, okay. So I texted him, come back. I'm going to go. Don't let me say no again. And so we dragged me there and I went in shaking. My pastor's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. And I sat in their basement and I was worshiping and I was just grieving and crying and saying, God, you need to deliver me from this. I can't do this anymore. And in that moment, Jesus said to me, as clear as day, he said, Sarah, do you see how my people suffer? And I said, yes, Lord, I see. And I said, okay. And I'm not saying, and then I was set free. <laughs> no, but at that moment, I was commissioned with purpose in the midst of my suffering. And so 
that was hard, but it gave me hope to know, okay, God, there, there is a purpose in this suffering. And the purpose is, is that there are people, and I know that there are some of you here right now, who are absolutely crippled and debilitated with mental illness. And there is no shame in it. God has compassion, and he sees how you are suffering because he loves you. And that's the message that I bring. Now I am set free, 100% set free, 100% set free. Do I feel nervous? Yes, all the time. Do I feel sad some days? Of course I do. But fear and depression is not something that wraps around me and drags me down into this pit. I'm able to live fearlessly because I'm not afraid of fear anymore. And I know the hope that God has given me, and I want to share some of that with you. One of the things that God showed me in, in my recovery, you know, it was a slow thing. And God, I said, okay, if there's a purpose in this, then you want to show me step by step. And I remember one day crying and I said, God, what is wrong with my brain? <laughs> what is wrong with my mind? Like, fix it. Why is it broken? And God said to me, your mind's not broken. Your mind's a gift. You just need to know how to use it. <laughs> And so when I'm ministering to people who are suffering with anxiety and depression, it's never like, oh, there's something wrong with you. You're actually, you know, when you're a creative person, <laughs> you can create up some amazing anxious scenarios. <laughs> but when you can use that energy to start thinking in other ways, God can really use it powerfully. If, if you're prophetic, you can be open to a lot of things and feel a lot of things deeply. Um, if you see the world in a certain way, it's a gift that God has given you, but it's a weapon and you need to learn how to use it. And this was something that God was teaching me. Another thing that God showed me was that healing the mind was a body, mind, and spirit connection. No more of this, it's just the spirit or spirit of fear. I mean, I do believe that there are are times and places for that. But that needs to be led by the Holy Spirit because sometimes someone is going through a biological <laughs> and medical condition. My 17-year-old um, son is a superstar football player, um, MVP player, super tough guy, weakness is weakness, like that's my son. <laughs> and always happy, never, you know, what, don't worry, I've got, I've had troubled teenagers, <laughs> so I'm not saying he's the perfect kid. But he has always just had such a good attitude, and he had a concussion two years ago. And he went from happy-go-lucky kid to in the emergency room for suicide watch within a matter of a week. So don't tell me that fear and anxiety and that kind of mental torment is just spiritual, because he had his head hit hard, and all the things in his brain just went... <laughs> but the cool thing is, is that there is no separation. It's not like, okay, well, it's just medical, so I'm just going to medicate and I'm just going to do essential oils and go for massages and only eat this, right? Or it's not just spiritual, well, like, I'm not going to a counselor, I'm not going to do that stuff, I'm not going to whatever, I'm just going to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. <laughs> it's connected because God made us that way, right? He made us where it's all connected. And I love this phrase, neuroscientists, not Christian neuroscientists, because neuroscientists said, that the brain is wired for love. That our brains actually have no ability to handle stress and trauma. Our bodies weren't designed to be able to handle it. And we live in a broken world where stress and trauma is our everyday. We wake up, stress, go to bed, stress. Midday, stress, trauma, right? 
And so when that happens, our brain sends off these chemicals to our whole body because it's trying to fix it because God never designed us to feel those things. So he has compassion that our bodies are also subjected to a broken world just as much as our spirits are. But I also want to present this to you. And sometimes people go, (laughs) and then they shut their ears off. But hear me out. Um, God created fear. And this is something that the Lord showed me. There was this time I live in uh, southern Alberta, so we live close to the Rocky Mountains, which is lovely. Yes. And so we went for a hike one day, and it was me and my friend, and I brought four of my five kids, and she brought two of hers. So there was five, I don't do math, six, seven. I don't know. There was a bunch of us. (laughs) And we went to go for a hike, and we got the kids' shoes on, and we're spraying them down, and sunscreen, all this kind of stuff, and we get to the edge of this... Um, trail that goes up the mountain and there's you know bear warning so we had bear spray and you know we're careful we live out there you kind of know the drill and uh, walked up there and we were just about to hit the trail and all of a sudden we heard someone screaming run and we were like what run and we see these like super we call them granolas I don't know what you call them out here super thick granola like mountain men and women jogging down the hill, just screaming and telling us to run. And we were like, is it a bear? Is it like a what? And we're running, and then we run, and we go, and we grab the kids, all these kids, and we're like hiding behind this truck, and we're like, they told us to run, and we're hiding. And we're like, what are we running from? They're like, sheep. We're like, sheep? What? (laughs) So they had ticked off some big horned sheep, and they weren't happy, so they were charging these big, tough granolas out of the mountain. But my, (laughs) right? But in that moment, their instinct and my instinct was to run and to hide, right? Can you imagine if I was, we were all really fearless in that situation? Ah, I can handle a bighorn sheep. <laughs> Let's go, kids. I mean, fear keeps us alive. Fear keeps us from doing dumb things. That's my favorite phrase for my book. Fear keeps us from doing stupid things. Um, and so oftentimes it happens when we're struggling with anxiety, especially panic attacks, we become so afraid of feeling fear. And that really is what keeps us in a cycle of fear. We don't like to feel afraid ever. But your body is just doing what it's designed to do. The only thing is, is that when you're going through anxiety, our triggers of big mountain sheep are happening every 10 minutes, (laughs) all the time, over bills and over our children and over you know, a new job or over this situation or that situation. It's being triggered like we're being chased down the mountain by bighorn sheep all the time. And so how do we learn to settle that in our bodies? And so this was something that God was beginning to show me. And so accepting that fear wasn't an enemy to me, that it was actually God's design to protect me, that my body was going to go into fight or flight mode. If I was ever in a dangerous situation where my life was at risk, my heart would start pounding And that way, it's rushing blood to my whole body to protect my organs, right? My mind is racing in order to help me plan an escape to get out and run away from the sheep, right? And so God has this, like, alarm system that he's built within us. Fear is not evil. This kind of fear is here to protect us. It's just our body doing its thing. But it's just learning to train it when it's allowed to and when it's not, right? The other point I have is that fear was created for worship. And I want to explain this. 
It says in Deuteronomy 13:4, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. I'm like, well, originally when I was going through my breakdown, fear is not a pleasant feeling. <laughs> and so I have a hard time understanding how we're supposed to feel this negative, tormenting feeling towards this supposedly loving God, because perfect love casts out fear. <laughs> I've heard that a hundred times. But this is what God began to show me in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. So here we have two different examples of fear, and I know there's a lot of like theological understanding into the fear of God, but this is what the Holy Spirit showed me as I walked through my journey. So this scripture gave me language to describe what I was experiencing in my mental illness, and that was torment. If you could imagine being tormented, you can handle the physical. <laughs> It's what's happening in here that creates torment in our lives. It says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And I'm going to go into that a little bit further in a minute. But this is what the Lord showed me. It said, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So I want to take you to a situation where you are one of the shepherds and you're out in your field, and you've had your tuna sandwich, and you're talking about what happened, whatever, and you're resting under, I don't know, I'm not a shepherd, so there's a lot of sheep references. But, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the sky fills with angelic hosts. And you go, eh, that's cool. And you have no physical response. You have no mental response. You have no emotional response to God's glory. God created in us a response to his glory. And can you imagine if we were fearless and we had none of those symptoms? And the thing is, is seeing something like fireworks for the first time, it creates this anxiety. It's a bit like, it's, it's the emotion of awe is what it is. It's the emotion of awe. It's all the same symptoms as fear. Racing mind, what's going on? Am I safe? Am I not safe? Am, you know, am I okay? Am I going to live? Am I going to die? Right? The angels always said, don't worry, you're not going to die. It's all good. Don't fear. And our bodies respond. They would be shaking, right? They would be trembling. They would be able, unable to speak. I mean, put yourself in that situation right now. If that happened, how would we respond? I'm pretty sure none of us would respond with no fear. But the difference is this is that fear without love is torment. But fear and an understanding of God's love for us is an emotion and mental and physical response as in awe. Wow, this is too big for me. <laughs> this is too big for me. My body, my mind, and my spirit cannot handle this glory. It's too big for me. And so what happens is, is that so oftentimes, Satan requires our worship. <laughs> he wants our worship. And, and we always think, well, we're, we're not going to be worshiping Satan. I mean, that's just not what we do. But are we standing in awe of him? Are we responding physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to his promises and his thoughts and his what-ifs, and those kind of things that he plants in our heart. And so, for me, understanding that when I was struggling with anxiety and fear, 
that what was happening in my body, it, it, there was nothing wrong with that, but it was misplaced worship. And I began to understand, and it wasn't a shame thing, like, oh my goodness, I'm worshiping Satan because I'm afraid of stuff. I mean, that's just human nature. I'm, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is that we no longer have to feel ashamed for what we struggle with. But now that I've passed this knowledge on, on to you, it's important for you to understand that thank you, God, for putting this in me. Let me use this to worship you and stand in awe of you. So I recently um, submitted my second book um, to my agent. And the title, my working title, was called Radical Self-Care. <laughs> and, and basically the idea is for moms, <laughs> how to find joy and fulfillment in the midst of motherhood. This is the book that I'm working on. And my agent got back to me, love the book, love the idea, love the chapters, yada, 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 don't love the term, the title. I said, oh, you don't like the term radical. She said, no, Christians don't like the term self-care. <laughs> I was like, okay. And she goes, I roll. Like, she, she definitely agreed with me, but she said there is so much controversy around this word self-care. I thought, you have got to be kidding me. And I will tell you, without going into great detail, um, being a part of a not now, but uh, many years ago, a very burnout culture in a church, where if you didn't do much, you weren't much. <laughs> if you weren't starving and exhausted and burning yourself out for the kingdom, you weren't a good Christian. And, and for someone like me, who wanted to win and wanted to do it and wanted to achieve, this is like, you know, crack to an addict, like, sorry for the phrase, I couldn't think of a better one, but it really is, it's just like, okay, I need to do more, I need to do this, I need to do more, and the next thing you know, I always say, your body will always tell you first that enough's enough, but we are so trained as Christians to ignore our bodies, cry for rest, our minds cry for rest, and the thing is, is that when we're exhausted and we're burnt out, and, and Jonathan, from your own experience, it affects your spirit, it, is, it, it affects your your, um, your understanding of God, it just creates this disillusionment in your mind and you just begin to warp who God is just through exhaustion. When you are going through anxiety and depression, it wears on your body. And when, you're, you know, when your body is worn down and these things are, like it's just connected. Like it's a focus on all three, self-care, not just the spiritual. Rest is a weapon. Rest is is the number one thing for me that keeps me healthy. And it is my responsibility to remain healthy and to be mentally healthy. And I'll tell you, my boundary line went from here to like here, <laughs> right? And, and I'll be honest, sometimes there's judgment because I say no. And sometimes but I don't care because I've been there and I'm not going back. So, And so, thank you. <laughs> I love this quote. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. 
Jesus understood how important it was to lay down the works and rest in him. Who cares if we go hungry for 10 more minutes? Who cares if the dishes aren't done? Who cares if this person's going to be disappointed? And, and so he really understood what it meant to rest. And there are so many examples of that that we ignore so much in the Bible. He says, come away with me so that I can bring you into my rest. <laughs> I want to deliver you from bondage so that I can bring you into my, into my rest. And so that you will know that I'm your God and that you belong to me and I belong to you. Like, like just, I'm bringing you out of this stuff. And there were so many times where the people-pleasing thing would kick in again and I'd start just going back into that place and God would say to me specifically, why are you going back to that bondage? It's bondage. It's not freedom. And so this was something that God was really showing me. Jesus set an example of what it meant to rest his body, mind, and spirit. When he was physically weary, he said, I need rest. I need food. (laughs) Go get me food. I need rest. When he was mentally weary, and, and, and in despair over what was to come, he, he needed to go and set time aside, asking his disciples to support him so he could get his mind on board with what this big thing that God was asking him to do. When his spirit was weary after being tested in the wilderness for so long, the angels came and had to minister to him. He set an example of what it means to walk in rest and take that time for ourselves, body, mind, and spirit. So here are three just practical things really quickly. Body care, rest, exercise. I'm lacking on the exercise department, but I'm working on it. Rest, exercise. Those two things, they say that exercise is just as effective scientifically as antidepressants for helping with depression. I've heard stories of people who have cured depression just from walking every day. Um, There were times where I had to just walk for my sanity. Walking became the only way that I could get through a vicious cycle of mental attacks in my head, was going for a walk. Um, Mental health care, the second most powerful way scientific say is better than medication. And I'm not against medication, just, just side note because sometimes people are drowning and you need a life raft so you can do the deeper work. So I'm not against it. But oftentimes we just go there and we don't do anything else. So um, mental health care is community. And which is really hard, because when you're struggling with mental illness, especially as severely as I did, you don't want to go nowhere. And you don't want to see no one. And your filter is gone. And you say things you never thought you could say, because you just you have no ability to handle any stress. And people bring stress right? But community is so important. Isolation kills people. Community revives people. And so it's so important, especially as a church community, and you have people coming out the streets, you know, we're going to be struggling with mental illness. Make it a safe place for them. Make them a safe place for them to come and just be in the midst of love and community. It is powerful in overcoming anxiety and depression. Soul care I'm sure you focus a lot on inner healing, which is so important. But one thing we don't talk a lot about is the importance of grief and grieving. When you experience trauma and grief in your life, some of us have experienced more than some people. Some of us have experienced stuff that you can't even talk about, things you're not even able to share. 
We have disappointments and failures and physical loss of people passing away, dreams that are lost, whatever it looks like. Um, our life didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to, whatever it is. There is a process that brings us to such a deeper level of healing in body, mind, and spirit, and that is through the channel of grief. And I know this sounds really scary because I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to have that thing behind you going, grieve me, grieve me. And you keep going, not today, sister, not today. And you just kind of push it off because you're so afraid that if you go there, you'll never come back. So for those of you that's something that you struggle with, I want to assure you that if you go there with the Lord, he will bring you back. And he will bring you back freer and deeper and you will experience great freedom. And I remember that moment where I had this thing, memory coming up that I thought I had dealt with, <laughs> right? Suck it up, princess. Oh, I dealt with that. I've moved on. I've moved past. I dealt with it, and it kept coming back and back and back and back. And I was rebuking it and praying it away and Satan, you're not bringing this memory up and doing all these things. And it just kept coming. And I felt so strongly the Holy Spirit said, but you haven't grieved this. And I sat on my knees in that moment and I fought. I wrestled for days. Nope, nope, la, 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 not listening. And so this one moment I was like, fine, well, I'll just sit for a minute then. <laughs> That's all I'm going to do. And I sat for a moment and it was like this well was just all of a sudden let loose. And I grieved and I grieved and I grieved and I grieved before the Lord. And in that moment, I physically felt this thing lift off of me. Grieving is a channel to freedom. Stuffers <laughs> deal with anxiety and depression. And sometimes, you know, you can't do it alone with the Lord. Sometimes you need pastors to pray. Sometimes you need counseling and someone to help you. Some of us have some really big things that we need to grieve. But grieving is such an important thing. And Jesus set the example of that. He, he, he said he was acquainted with grief and sorrow. And not just because he felt sorry for us, because he, he understood how important it was to, to feel and to grieve. It's like a vessel. You know, I remember going to counseling. He's like, it's a vessel. You only fill so much stuff in it, and it begins to leak out. And sometimes it leaks out in anger. Sometimes it leaks out in feeling numb, could care less. Sometimes it leaks out in, you know, overachievement. I'll just succeed my way out of this pain. And sometimes it comes out in the form of anxiety and depression or worse, other, other forms of mental illness. So people often ask me, you know, if you have a deliverance ministry and anxiety, what do I pray to be delivered from anxiety? <laughs> Don't we wish it was that simple? <laughs> but this is the message where I'm going to end my message here, is where I really feel that um, my anointing weighs heavy. And so I don't know, at the end, we could just have some minstrel and then we can just pray. But it'll take me a few minutes to get there, but I just want to share this message first. That annoying scripture, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> Other than Jesus loves me, this I know. Okay, I'm still afraid. <laughs> Um, I want to open up 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. 
And this is another annoying scripture that gets thrown at you when you struggle with mental illness over and over and over again. But when you really understand what it means, it has the power to set us free. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is how this, I have heard this verse so many times interpreted. You have sinful thoughts, you have bad thoughts, stop thinking about them, pray them away, take your thoughts captive, be a good girl, stop it. When you are struggling with OCD and you have repetitive, intrusive thoughts that are disturbing beyond your belief, you know, I minister to so many people who struggle with religious OCD. And they will spend hours in their bedroom repeating the same prayer over and over and over again for God to forgive them, to heal them, to deliver them. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, because they had this thought. But the thing is, they're so afraid of the thought that the thoughts keep coming back. It's like, don't look at the car accident. What? What car accident? <laughs> right? And so I really struggle with this. It's your job to keep your thoughts captive. It is not our fault that thoughts pop into our mind, especially for those who are struggling with anxiety, depression, and OCD. Sometimes you can't help it, and it just comes. And you can pray, and you can speak in tongues, and you can do all these things to make it go away. But when you're struggling with severe mental illness like I did, it takes the scripture to a whole other level of taking your thoughts captive. But I'll tell you this, in overcoming anxiety and depression and OCD, if you have to learn to take your thoughts captive. And I'm going to show you how. So the definition here, I'll read the verse again. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. An argument, if you have a teenager, you know what an argument is. <laughs> it's a reason or set of reasons given with the aim of persuading others that an action or an idea that they have is wrong. You're wrong for thinking that way. That's wrong. That's not true. And here are all the reasons why. Here are the 10 facts of all the reasons why that this is fact is not true. And, they, and you go, well, no, that's not true. Well, yeah, it is because this and this and this. Well, that's, well no, because because of this. And they go, no, 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 because of this. That's an argument. For every fact and truth you think you have, something comes back and says, no, that, that's not true. And here are the facts. Here are the reasons why. It's an argument that's happening in our minds and in our spirits that Jesus is saying we have to take captive. The second one, he says, pretension. And a pretension is a claim or ask, uh, I can't even, a claim to something. I own this. This is mine. This belongs to me. You have no dominion here. This belongs to me. You don't own this. This isn't true, right? And so what Jesus is saying to us here is that to take our thoughts captive, we have to destroy arguments, totally destroy them, not get into arguments with it, completely destroy it, and everything that claims something belongs to them inside of our minds. Peace doesn't belong to you. Look what you did. You don't get to live peace and freedom. That doesn't belong to you. You don't deserve that. Good things don't happen to people like you. Whatever. Whatever it is, we all have that thing that has a claim to our future and our freedom and tells us why we don't have claim to that freedom. It's biological. It's hereditary. Whatever it is. You know, I know that people suffer, and I'm very gentle because I suffered with it. And there's people who have suffered with mental illness from the time they were little. I have ministered to nine-year-olds 
16-year-olds, pastors, teachers, therapists, counselors, people who say, I teach people how to deal with this stuff. I can't get over it. How do I become set free? We all struggle with a battle in our minds. So here's the next part of the scripture. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It doesn't say against you. These thoughts and these ideas aren't here to attack you, right? It says you have to demolish these arguments that are setting itself up against the knowledge of God. So what is this knowledge? God's good, God's big, God's powerful, God's judge, God's this. Ephesians 3.14 says... And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to understand, to have knowledge of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. 1 John 4, 7, 21 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, God, because God is love. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Every argument that fuels your anxiety and depression Every assertion or claim that's claiming your future and your freedom from what you're experiencing. We are to demolish those things because they have been set up against us, against the knowledge that God really, really, really loves you. I remember this moment where I said, God, you need to show me the key to being set free. And I had a dream that night. God often spoke to me in dreams during that season because my mind was quite busy during the day. (laughs) And I had this uh, dream where I was in the basement of this house. I hadn't been there before. And I was like, oh, and this guy comes downstairs. He goes, welcome to my father's house. I was like, oh, thanks. I'm so happy to be here. He says, come on up. I want to show you the house. Awesome. And he's like, and here's the kitchen, and here's the living room, and here's the microwave. And he's like showing me around this house. And he's like, it's so exciting. And then all of a sudden, I could hear this processional happening outside. And he goes, the father's coming home. And I didn't know who this father was or who this guy was or anything like that. And I, and I just was like, oh my goodness. And the look of admiration and excitement that his father was coming home and he was showing me his house, he just couldn't even contain it. So this father walks into the house and he walks straight to his son and he looks at him in the face and I have never in any Hallmark movie <laughs> ever witnessed this exchange of love and depth. It was, I couldn't describe it. It was so intense and so real in this dream. 
You know what my reaction was? I used to be in the army cadets. My reaction was to stand at attention and put my head down. And my first thought was, oh, he's going to come and see me. And he, the, the devastation I'll feel, because I know he won't look at me the same. And he walked up. There's a whole bunch of other, all, you know, dreams. A bunch of other people showed up. And I was in this line, and he was coming down like an army sergeant, you know, and they inspect their troops. And he looked at me, and he lifted my head, and he looked at me with the exact same intensity, intensity that he had looked at his son. And I woke up from that dream, and God said to me, perfect love casts out fear. And I knew in that moment that that was the key to my deliverance. And from that moment, from that moment on, every time I had a th thought come into my head, no, God, that's not true because you love me. No, God, that's not true because you really, really love me. No, that's not true because you love me. And then next thing you know, the anxiety started to go down and the depressing thoughts started to stop. And when I'd wake up in the morning, I used to experience this dread. I'd wake up and it was just like, oh, life again. And all of a sudden, one morning, I woke up and I was like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I really love you. Like, I'm hearing God just talk to me, like, and I had never experienced that before because I never allowed myself to because there was a million reasons why I couldn't. And all of a sudden, every single thought and argument that came into my mind, I was able to demolish it by the truth that God really, really loved me. This is the key to being set free from anxiety and depression, from despair, from discouragement, from weariness, from shame, from guilt, from condemnation, from loneliness. It really is the only truth and the simplicity of Jesus that we need to understand. And so in moments of mental anguish, if any of you are struggling, you know, this is your only focus. Let the other stuff go. You can fix those weaknesses you have later. <laughs> Just focus on that until you get healthy. Because God is a good God and he really loves you. we just um, we lift up our bodies our minds oh timer's done sorry we lift up our bodies our minds and our spirits to you Lord God and Father we just thank you Lord God for your message of hope and freedom Lord God and God this church Lord is called to be an army Lord God and they faced many battles Lord and some are weary and Lord, and some of us, Lord God, here are the battle is in the mind and they're riddled with anxiety and depression or even OCD. And God, we just pray, Father God, that you would set them free, Lord God, from the torment of fear, Lord God. 
And Father, I just pray in this moment, Lord, that you would begin to speak to them, Lord. I just pray that you would touch each one. And Holy Spirit, I ask you, Father, that you would release a word over each and every one here, Lord God. That word, Lord God, that tells them that you are loving them in this moment, Lord God. And there is nothing that can separate them from your love, Father God. So Holy Spirit, we receive, Lord God, your love today, Lord God. Father, we receive, Lord God, your freedom from mental torment, Lord God. Father, we receive your freedom from fear, Lord God, and we accept your peace. Lord, your definition of peace, Lord God, is restoring order. And God, we ask you, Lord, that you would begin to restore order in our lives. Restore orders in our spirits, in our minds, in our bodies, Lord God. And Father, I just pray that you, Lord, would bring a revelation to each and everyone here, Lord God, of your love, Father God. 